Welcome back to the Breakdown Podcast. This week it's time to talk coaching and I've been through a few coaches in my time, played for, I've been a coach, but someone who's seen a lot come and go at so many different levels is the one and only Grant Nisbet. Let's start though with the big news of the day and it's around coaching. Wayne Smith has been appointed, and I'll read this, performance coach to the Black Ferns and All Blakes. It's a unique role that will include mentoring, supporting the respective head coaches and enhancing the quality of coaching delivery across two teams. That's clearly a statement from New Zealand Rugby. That's exactly the sort of thing I would expect from the organisation that's employed probably their most successful rugby coach they've ever had, as an assistant in particular, and the work he did with the Black Ferns last year in the Rugby World Cup. What do you make of this announcement? It starts, let's be clear, it starts after this year's Rugby World Cup. From there on, he will have a this mentoring role. Do you like this appointment? Yeah, I do, Jeff. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think he is regarded as pretty much the guru of coaches, isn't he? And it, it's a far cry from the day when he and he kind of pulled out of the All Blacks uh, back in the early 2000s and um, <clears throat> made way for John Mitchell. But, um, you know, he's certainly redeemed himself, Wayne Smith. There's no doubt about it. He's a deep thinker of the game. And I think he's the perfect guy, really, to have an overview of the coaching, both at the men's and the women's game. So I absolutely applaud it. There's been a lot of controversy, you'd have to say controversy, around coaching at the highest level, at both the All Blacks and the Black Ferns over the last couple of years. Let's let's be honest and fair about that. And a lot of that's been played out in the media. Is this a role that New Zealand rugby have desperately needed, in, in your view, in terms of someone almost owning that international coaching space? So that you've got someone with the level of experience that Wayne Smith is talking about here, so that... I suppose we can avoid what's happened in the last probably two years. Yeah, look, I mean, <clears throat> you know as well as anybody that uh, coaching is results-based. Um, if you're not getting the results, then people are looking at the coach. And that's not unique to New Zealand rugby by any means. We see it on a regular basis in the English Premier League, for instance, and in all American sports. If a team's not going well, everyone tends to look at the coach. They don't tend to look at the players. And we had problems, of course. We knew uh, and know in the women's game, and uh, Wayne Smith came in as a kind of a late replacement for the World Cup uh, last year and did a really fantastic job, didn't he? And, um, you know, there have been questions about how the All Blacks have performed over the last couple of years. Results-based questions, and, uh, and that's fair enough because we expect the highest level. So I think this is a really, really good appointment. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an overview. He's not going to be in there coaching the teams. He's, he's there as a, as a kind of a mentor. And I, I think that's fantastic. Well, sort of coaching, Ms. Bo, uh, in terms of coaching, we're approaching almost 30 years of the professional game now. And that's significantly different, right, to the amateur game. And we know that the Tuesday, Thursdays at the end of work, that NPC, a national provincial game, used to be you play on the weekends. You know, there was probably, I think, there was only nine teams originally in the first division. Um, a lot of a lot of coaches only had an opportunity to select players from club teams in their region and area. I mean, as things have changed, do you think, I suppose, the role of the coach has clearly changed? I mean, you've dealt and talked to players now com- compared to players from different generations, and we're talking multiple generations now. Look, when you... When you think of characteristics of coaches, and you've spoken to a lot of them on tour at different points, do you think the characteristics of coaching have changed? 
No doubt about that. I mean, I did my first All Black tour, Jeff, back in uh, 1984 to Australia, and the All Black coach on that occasion was a guy called Bryce Rope, and it was him. Nobody else, no assistant coach, no defence coach, no scrum coach, one guy. And um, and now you go to an All Black training run, and there are at least a dozen people running around um, with kind of coaching roles and involvement. And back in those days too, Jeff, and you'll appreciate this, you didn't cut away to the coach's box and see guys looking at laptops. I mean, what are they looking at? I don't know. Um, I don't know what they're looking at, but um, it, the whole role has changed. It's seven days a week. It's not, as you say, Tuesday, Thursday, and maybe a little run around on Sunday morning. I don't know. But, um, yeah, absolutely changed. So when you sat down with, a, with coaches like that from that generation, when you, when you look at the game, and of course it's incredibly complex now because all of a sudden, same thing through coverage. There are multiple camera angles. Nothing can get hidden. And so the science of the game appears to have become so, um, like you say, entrenched, this, the laptop and the, the detail. And we've got TMOs. We've got assistant referees. We've got, um, we've got uh, uh, medical staff on the sideline taking players off for collisions and HI assessments. And so you think that role of a coach and you, you think about the complexities of it. And you just mentioned all of a sudden we're talking about coaching teams. When you, you think about all of that, when you sit down and have a conversation with coaches, how, how does it even compare from the past to it does now? Can you, can you feel as though you can sit down and just talk rugby with coaches and it's, it, is it similar or is it completely different? I think it's completely different. And I think actually the Northern Hemisphere, and not, not in rugby, but I think in, in football, they don't call them coaches anymore. They call them managers. Um, and, and our perception of a manager was the bloke who made sure everyone had their passports and got on the plane on time and maybe made a few little speeches here and there. Um, and so I, 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 I'd prefer these days to call them coach, uh, to call them managers, to be honest. I mean, you look at the New Zealand cricket team and, and he's called a coach. But he's not going to tell Kane Williamson how to bat, is he? And he's not going to be telling Trent Bolt how to bowl. Um, that would be the role of a coach. I, I'm almost inclined now to call them managers. Um, and we see it in English football, don't we? I mean, it's, it's the England football manager. It's not the England football coach. It's the, it's the Arsenal manager, Tottenham manager, never the coach. Um, so I think that I think it's more of a kind of an overview um, and you are the guy that runs the coaching setup, but you actually uh, specifically hand the coaching of maybe scrums or attack or defence to other people, um, and, and you have the overview. So in my view, I think they should actually be called manager. It's like setting the culture, right? You're setting the yeah. culture and environment in the group. And, and funnily enough, those are the sort of conversations you would probably have with, when people talk about a Scott Robertson about what he has clearly created at the Crusaders. Um, if you talk about X's and O's, a lot of uh, people and players would suggest to me that he's probably, he's aware and across the X's and O's, but he feels as though that setting the environment is clearly more important than sometimes what it is about the details that's going on inside the wide lines. And I can talk from experience around Gordon Hunter, uh, Tony Gilbert, uh, John Hart. Uh, they were coaches, exactly like you're saying, in that, Yes, they understood the the nature of the tactics you were going to play, but ultimately they wanted to set the right environment um, for the group that you that you had to try and 
obviously get excellence to get performance. And I think that's the that's the challenge we have here when I look at a Wayne Smith because Smithy clearly has got a reputation as being one of the great on-field rugby coaches we've ever had. But I think you underestimate what he did when he was with the Chiefs. He was part of the Dave Rennie setup where their culture was something that they're actually, they've probably lived off for the last 10 years, that they set something there they hadn't had before and it led them to two titles. So that's probably, and, and alongside that you go, well, what did Wayne Smith do with the Blackferns? He actually simplified maybe what they did, but you saw there was an incredible amount of belief in the way that they were playing. But when you think about the possibility of next year, there's going to be 15 test matches. We're all in this. This is a new coaching environment for the All Blacks. We've got head coaches, Jason Holland, Leon McDonald, uh, coming from their environments, joining Scott Robertson. Um, this is probably why Wayne Smith's really critical, right? If you think about the transition that these guys are making, going into the international game, some have been assistant coaches for international teams, but this is a completely this is a completely different beast now we're talking about, right? The, the All Blacks and this coaching team. Now, what do you think some of the conversations Wayne Smith might be having with these three guys, you know, going into next season? Yeah, look, it's going to be a big change for those blokes because, you know, in, in the case of Leon McDonald, I think he's been at the Blues for, let's say, five or six years. Same with Jason Holland. And, and that, they've been the head honcho. Uh, they've been the guy that has led the direction. Now they're going to have to take a bit of a back seat. I mean, they'll be given responsibilities for sure. But it is going to be a little bit difficult for them. To, uh, initially, I'd imagine, um, you know, with Razor running the show and, and, and they kind of become his assistants. That's fair enough. But I think I think they'll all respect Wayne Smith. Whatever Wayne Smith says, they'll, they'll take it on board. You know, when you were playing, and in the early days, probably uh, more so than the latter years when the professional game kicked in, you might have had a coach who wasn't a particularly good coach, but he was such a good bloke that people got behind him and they wanted to. And I played, I played um, modestly at club level um, with, with a number of uh, coaches who weren't great tacticians, but they were guys you wanted to play for. And when the chips were down, you were thinking, oh, I want to win for this guy. He's such a good bloke, you know. He may not be a great tactician or anything like that, not a great coach as such, but a good bloke. And uh, I think if you talk to rugby players down the ages, if they get on well with the coach, they respect him, they like him, then that makes a hell of a difference. With that in mind then, was there an all-black coach in particular over your time that you got to sit down and have a beer with and talk the game with? Is there one in particular that stood out that, that you yourself sat with and said, you know what? I'm riding behind this guy, you know, and you, I know you're an All Black fan and you're an All Black supporter. You're as, but but you, you were always unbiased in your opinion and, and what you see. But when it came time to be on tour and it was time to sit down and have a chat, and you know, on a Friday night, um, I know it became a little bit of a tradition where you know they would invite the media down to uh, the hotel bar just to have a couple of hours of catch up, um, chew the fat. Maybe people would vent and get things off their chest, Nisbo, like they like to do after a couple of quiet beers. Um, but in terms of those conversations, was there one in particular you enjoyed sitting down the most? I think probably if I had to isolate one, it would be Sir Brian Lahore. Um, look, he was a fantastic player. So he took that mana into the into the coaching role for sure. And he was just such a nice guy. He really was. And he was happy to tell you things safe in the knowledge that you wouldn't pass it on. Um, you know, there's a certain level of trust there. 
um, and he and he believed that you wouldn't pass it on. So he'd tell you some little snippets here and there, which were quite handy in commentary. You didn't have to attribute them to anybody. Um, but he had such he had such mana, um, and I and he got the results too, didn't he? I mean, he was our first ever coach to win a World Cup, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but I do remember in the 1986 tour to France when we got a decent high to get Nantes. And uh, having a good chat with with BJ after that game, and he was just brutally honest. You know, he was along the lines, if we play like this, we're not going to do any good in the World Cup next year. Um, so I think if I had to isolate one, certainly him. So with, with that in mind as well, then, you know, for, forever we talked about the all-black coach being the hardest job in New Zealand, harder than being the prime minister. Do you think that's still the case? I mean, you just look what Ian Foster had to go through last year, the, the scrutiny that, that he faced when we lost to Ireland in a series for the very first time. You know, we lose to Argentina in Christchurch. You know, and, and there's no doubt, look, it's been globally the, a challenging world. And, and we've gone through something as a generation that the, the, we probably never will struggle to understand with, with COVID. Um, but it's almost like there's nowhere to hide, right? Do you think... In some ways, it will be eye-opening for Scott Robertson next year to face the level of scrutiny. And do you think that scrutiny is still the same? Yeah, probably more so, to be honest with you. I mean, I always say with coaches, there's only one thing that matters, and that's results. Um, Scott Robertson's had a fabulous run at the Crusaders, no question about that. Remember, he took over from, I think, Todd Blackadder, who went eight seasons without winning a title. Now, Toddy Blackadder was an icon of um, of Crusaders and Canterbury rugby, but he simply couldn't get the results. Uh, Robertson has come along and he has got the results. And that's what the New Zealand rugby public from North Cape to the Bluff are going to expect. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's always been kind of confined, I guess, to the Crusaders region, but now it's the whole country and he's going to have to get the results. And that's the only thing, the only thing, He'll be judged on whether he's a good bloke, uh, whether he's good with the media, whether the players like him. At the end of the day, he's only going to be judged on one thing. Pretty much, if if you look at it though, now uh, a lot of the, I mean, we still we still haven't lost to Scotland, for example, right? We haven't we haven't crossed that barrier yet. But they're an improving professional side. I expect to be very competitive in their pool at this year's Rugby World Cup, and um, Scotland and Ireland better be very very careful. That um, sorry, South Africa and Ireland need to be very, very careful. They don't quite get it wrong in the pool stages because one of them might be going home early up against a Scottish team that, in the last few years, I think Nisbo's looked really, really good. So the reason I bring that up is the fact that do you think though the international game and maybe our expectations of the All Blacks are maybe a little bit high in regards to the fact that if you think about we continue to rig rugby championships, we continue to hold the Bledisloe Cup. I mean, how long has it been since we've lost that? Um, now, clearly, uh, Argentina, after being part of Super Rugby with the Jaguares, improved significantly to a point where they find a, found a way um, to beat the All Blacks. I think it was in Australia uh, in a lockdown, in a lockdown situation. So they found their way to do that. Um, we've in some ways assisted them to get better, and they've come along and beaten the All Blacks. Is that fair, though, to think about how the balance of Power has changed. Ireland and France are clearly really good on top of their games, generational teams. So is it fair for that 
you know, you talk about results. What's acceptable in your mind? You know, if if it's a eighty five percent winning rate, an eighty percent winning rate, you win twelve or thirteen of your test matches out of fifteen in a year. Surely that's a good season, right? Yeah, look, I mean, whether we like it or not, Jeff, the expectations on the All Blacks are always going to be high because they because they are the All Blacks, and they run it at uh, close to an eighty percent. Uh, uh, win ratio over well over a hundred years. It's the best of any national sport. You think of any other national sport and national team. It certainly does. people always say Brazil, but I mean Brazil wouldn't be anything like eighty uh, percent. They just simply wouldn't be. So look, the expectations are incredibly high, and I don't see that as an issue at all. I I think that's good. We should expect the All Blacks to be right up there every year. What has happened, of course, is that the rest of the world has closed in on us. Um, there was a time five years ago when Ireland hadn't beaten us at all, but now they've beaten us, um, I don't know, half a dozen times, maybe less, but it feels like that. Um, yeah. Scotland are going to do it one day. We had a nil-all draw against Scotland back in the 60s, and they haven't really got that close since, although a couple of years ago at Twickenham, uh, there was a moment there when it looked like they might beat us. Uh, England are always capable of beating us, uh, as they have done. France are always capable of beating us, certainly the Springboks, Australia. Um, and Argentina have joined that bunch as well. And I hope that over the years there'll be other teams that will come into that mix as well. I mean, it's very healthy for world rugby that there's not just four or five teams. You know, we want really 10 teams who can go to a World Cup and possibly win it. Yeah, and I think if you looked, if the polls were slightly different at this Rugby World Cup, because clearly that's not quite right and given the power of the and the way that teams have played, but if you had the balance, I think you're 100% right. I think there would be more teams in this, you know, the top four sides might not necessarily make this year's semi-finals, given the way the playoffs are going to play out at quarter-final time. So once again, with all of that in mind and the gaps having closed, for so long, we had this period where we would actually blow teams out, right? Have we got to the point now where it actually, it shouldn't matter how we win, it's the fact we win. You talk about results. Are we? Are our standards of the fact, well, we, we should be so much better than teams. We've been so much better than teams in the past. We've beaten other sides by 20, 30 points. I'm not sure that's the reality anymore, the fact that how, how these other to- uh, teams have improved. Let's take Japan, for example. You know, um, we go from, what, in 1995, beating them by 120 points, you know, to all of a sudden we go to Japan last year and they're in the fight for 60 minutes. But that's just the evolution of the game. So, you know, in some ways do we need to not let, okay, let's not reduce our expectations in terms of winning, but the fact that accept that it's it's certainly not going to be as easy. Is that is that fair? And is that why, and this is why I'm trying to put some context in for the coaching coming in and the coaching we've probably had is the fact those margins now, I mean, beating Scotland and Edinburgh, uh, you know, is, is, is at Murrayfield is not a walkover anymore, Nisbo, is it? It's just not a gimme. It's not a given, right? And one of the ironies, one of the ironies, Jeff, and a lot of those countries you talk about have been influenced by New Zealand rugby. I mean, you look across uh, the UK, for instance, and uh, the length of time that Joe Schmidt uh, was in, in Ireland, and that had an effect. The length of time that Vern Cotter and others <clears throat> have been in Scotland, and that's had an effect. Um, even in the England setup, you know, John Mitchell has potted around in there, and now we've got Nick Evans. Um, maybe not so much in France, but you look right across the board, and certainly Japan is a great instance of that with Jamie Joseph and, and Tony Brown. So, <clears throat> ironically, 
while the All Blacks have been a dominant force in world rugby for over 100 years, um, inevitably we've had to export, export some of our coaching and some of our intellectual property, if you like, and it's benefited world rugby, and I think that's a good thing. Why isn't you know we've seen two New Zealanders coaching Australia in the last decade or so, haven't we? And so um, we still have that huge influence, and I guess to some extent it has brought the world up to to our level, and that's fine with me. Um, I'm not sure Australia would agree in terms of they haven't managed to get closer. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of what like you say, the intellectual property and the sharing of information, Dave Rennie, remembering, went and coached in Scotland for a number of years. So all of a sudden, and they only have two clubs, right? So essentially, one club was getting the best of the, the information out of New Zealand. And that's where I, I come back to that uh, this, this next question I want to ask you then, because we're now on a search in New Zealand for a head coach at the Hurricanes, a search at the head coach for the Blues, uh, the Crusaders. Moana Pacifica now is in the search for a head coach. Uh, you think about all of the exported talent we've had in the past, but a number of those people may be thinking about their futures and whether there's an opportunity. And we've had people rule themselves out. Uh, Chris Gibbs has ruled himself out of um, trying to go for the Hurricanes job. Um, if you look at what we've got right now, I mean, is this probably the toughest time for coaching in New Zealand in terms of we're trying to find the next generation of coaches and who are they? And most of the guys that are going to be putting up their hands are now, they've probably played the game in the last 10 years. Um, is that a challenge for us now in terms of trying to develop the, the young talent we do have because the coaching, to, um, I suppose, experience is young as well? And Or do we go back to Vern Cotter? Do we start trying to approach Joe Smith and going, look, we'd love to have you back involved? And I'm not sure they would do that. Yeah, look, I think it, I think um, the the franchise are going to have to be bold and um, and start bringing through the next generation of coaches. And you look at the support staff uh, right across the board, and the full of guys. I'm, I'm thinking at the you know place like the Highlanders. I see Tom Donnelly sitting there. Um, you know, you see Scott Hansen at the the, at the Crusaders and Tamati Allison, and you can go right through the franchises and you look around at the support staff. And sooner or later, these guys are going to have to step up. The other place you look, of course, is at the provincial uh, the game, uh, the MPC game, and um, and the coaches that are doing well there. Um, I, I, don't, I don't have a real issue. Uh, I know that it's quite hard to pluck names out of the air at the moment, uh, but they'll be there. They'll be there. And at some point, they're going to have to be used. And it just so happens that uh, in next year, we've lost three. Um, certainly on the New Zealand front, and, and maybe uh, Moana Pacifica will have to find a coach out of the New Zealand system. I'm not sure. But um, I, I, I look upon it as an exciting time, really, because it's an opportunity to see some new faces and uh, and, and promote guys. Because we get into the situation, I agree, because if, if and we're all hoping that the tenure of the next All Black coach goes well. You know, that's, that's 100%, because I want to see the players perform to the peak of their ability. And I still believe that this coaching staff with Joe Smith and Jason Ryan with Fozzie can get out of the, get this group prepared to win a rugby world cup. I don't have any doubt about that. I think the players will have to take a step up, all those sorts of things. But if the cycle gets right, then we're talking about four years, right? Just the first cycle of Scott Robinson's tenure is four years. And to your, to, to your point, that means all of these young coaches have got four years, at least a minimum of four years of coaching, you know, in super rugby. But, that's where we probably, if we were going to make an investment, 
is that where I know Wayne Smith's saying he's committed to the Black Ferns and the All Blacks, but he won't be able to help himself, will he? I mean, let's be honest. He, I mean, if he's if he's connected to that level and those layers, he'll be going to himself. Well, clearly, I'd like to see something else at the next layer and the next layer down. And if he's a resource, this is something these young coaches need to jump on, right? They need to absolutely look at it and go, how do I get my hands on um, uh, Wayne Smith? But also the All Black coaches as well. I, I think that's really, we've, I, I'm not sure we've ever cracked that one, Nisbo, of connecting our All Black and Black Fern coaches, even I'm not sure with the um, the Opiki teams, I'm not sure how connected they are, but that's pretty critical now, right? If we can move the needle anywhere, would that be a needle you'd like to see, whereas all of a sudden there is that that um, connectivity between the layers? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think Wayne Smith will certainly become available to everyone. I, I don't think you'd find anybody coaching rugby in this country who hasn't got great respect for Wayne Smith. And equally, I, I think he'd be disappointed if they didn't hop on the phone. If, if they had an issue at whatever level, super rugby, provincial rugby, uh, you know, the women's game, they'd be, he'd be disappointed if they didn't jump on the phone and ask for some advice. And I think that's the role he's going to fulfil. Sure, it's um, it's been given to us as, you know, um, kind of mentoring the, the national coaches. But, you know, the next tier of coaches are so important, aren't they? Because they are the, they are the potential all-black coaches of the future. And if they're not reaching out to a guy like Wayne Smith, then they, they, they certainly should be, put it that way. Here's another thing for you then, Nisbo. You talk about the fact you get judged on results. And I, I 100%, that's the first port of call. But essentially, you've still got to have some cattle. The cattle have still got to be reasonably good, right? And you need someone, I suppose, giving the, the appropriate feedback to the organisations themselves going, well, if you compare your cattle to that cattle and you're all good coaches, reality is this the, the better cattle is going to win, right, and come out on top. And every so often there will be something that happens which there's a motivator there, there's, there's something that gets you a, a result that's out of the blue. But... The cattle question mark, I bring that up because if you were to compare, for example, the Highlanders cattle, compare that to the other four New Zealand franchises, let's not put Moana Pacifica in this conversation because they've just been going for two years and their mandate's completely different. But if you sit there and go, well, the Highlanders cattle compared to everybody else is not quite as strong, it's not quite as depth, and they clearly don't have the same number of All Blacks in in their environment. So how do you judge their coaching staff then? Where's their comp- where should their comparison be? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jeff. Uh, you know, and, and 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 there is no comparison, is there? I mean, uh, Clark Dermody is is most likely done a fantastic job at the Highlanders this year, with limited cattle, as you say, and then horrendous injuries thrown in on top of that, and he's had to sort of stumble his way through the season. I haven't he- haven't heard anybody talk against Clark Dermody. I think he's done a, a fantastic job with with what he's had available, for sure. And wouldn't he just love to be to, to have the um, resources that a guy like Scott Robertson's got at uh, the Crusaders? So a few guys fall over, and they're replaced by All Blacks. Same thing happens at the Blues and the Hurricanes, to some extent, and the Chiefs. So, um, look, you're absolutely right, and that's, that's a hell of a balance um, to make. I mean, once the Highlanders won uh, Super Rugby back in 2014, I think it was, Everyone was. Everyone wanted to know about Jamie Joseph, right? Um, because he had just won a title, and uh, and and probably that year, and I can't remember. Probably the Blues had a shocker. So whoever the, their coach was, 
uh, wasn't a contender for the All Blacks. So um, that's absolutely right. And, and, and I think it's incumbent on New Zealand rugby to make sure somehow that all the five franchises are of equal, uh, you know, equal strength because we all know that the Highlanders uh, only can draw, well, certainly provincially, on Southland and Otago. Um, whereas the Crusaders seem to have a much wide, more widespread uh, um, environment that they can pick from, and they and they get out and they do some good recruiting as well. There's no doubt about that. So, yeah, it is. It's a very very interesting point, and um, you're only as good as the cattle you've got. That's for sure. And that's Scott Robertson's going to enjoy next year because he's got the whole country he can pick from, yeah. not from uh, you know a somewhat more limited um, um, you know environment. So. Um, it's a really delicate balance it is too. And um, you see it right across the board in world sport, don't you, where um, you might be a really, really good coach, but you simply don't have the cattle. Uh, and I think that has to be taken into account for sure. And, and I think that's I think that's a really important role that I think, um, once again, I had that if, if there's a Wayne Smith, and I'm sure actually as well now, hopefully Scott Robertson understands that. And when they're feeding back to, franchises and you're talking about well we've been in their environment we've seen what they're delivering the content they're giving and the detail of the players absolutely you then have to ask the question mark of the players right about the fact that their ability to improve and listen and develop their game and stay connected and committed and all those sorts of things plus all the factors but that's one area for me if we're going to if an area we're going to have to make the most of in the next four years is exactly that and that's where that connectivity for me is we're developing these young coaches we're having to find a way through Super Rugby that we don't get ourselves in a situation we might be facing now where there was uncertainty if we didn't know who was going to be that next cab off the rank, um, you know, and who are the next best head coaches. It should be, to me, it should be an obvious conversation. Oh, yeah, there's the guy. He's, you know, Clark Dermody, I think, himself, who's got a an over... Uh, well, he's got a mentor in, in Chris Boyd with the Highlanders. And Chris Boyd doesn't have any uh, impact, I understand, on the field, it's more talking about uh, creating the right environment. Uh, Clark clearly, I think, reluctantly took the job, um, knowing it was a, a development opportunity or be a real challenge. And I think he's done really well uh, as well, given the challenges he's faced. And I compare them to the Australian sides. I sit there and go, you know what? I'm going to compare them to the Australian sides at the moment. And you go, well, if you can deliver against the Fiji and Drua, the Moana Pacifica sides, and compete against all the Australian teams in this games you should win, um, maybe a little bit more comfortably than a three penalty goal in the last minute would be handy. But ultimately, if they find a way in this season to sneak into the playoffs, to me, they've probably done as well as they could expect, right? You know, you review what they've gone through, the injuries, their draw, three derby games to start the season. If they go through that and you go, because everyone's been ragging on them, and I'm a former Highlander, and don't get me wrong, I, I haven't, I've been frustrated by some of the games. I won't lie to you because I think they could individually play better. But I think for me, when you compare them across the competition, I'm, I'm not sure how easy it is to balance this up. And there's a lot of stuff coming out of Australia now about the future of Super Rugby. But I think that's going to be a real challenge is not just you talking about the New Zealand sides. We're talking about the whole competition here, right? You know, we, we're getting into the last two weekends and it's quite possible that we could hold the four quarterfinals. I think that maybe they should have asked some questions across the Tasman, right? Do you think, Nisbo? Yeah, yeah. I, I'd imagine the Brumbies are going to probably, I mean, it'll not depend, of course, on what goes on this weekend against the Chiefs, but um, look, Aussie rugby's got its own problems. I'm one of those, and I always have been, Jeff, 
um, just getting slightly off the subject here, that we, we need to help Australian rugby as best we can because they're very close to us. Um, and I much prefer to see a strong Wallaby team than a weak Wallaby team that we roll over every year, which we've done, what, since 2003. There have been a few little hiccups along the way, but generally speaking, uh, we've dominated Australian rugby. And I don't necessarily see that as a good thing. It's always good to beat them. But I'm, and it would help us overall if, if there was a strong Wallaby team. And I think Eddie Jones might just come up with one this year. Who knows? Um, but at franchise level, we all know they've got too many teams. Uh, we know that. Um, the Brumbies are always, they're a given. Uh, the Waratahs are a given because they encompass the, uh, well, I was going to say the biggest city. I believe Melbourne's now the biggest city, but it, Sydney's big. Um, and the Reds. And then you've got, and then you've got the Force, and you've got the Rebels. Uh, they're doing their darndest to make a, a, a stake, if you like, in Melbourne, which is great. Um, the Force are, yeah, they're, they're they're five hours away. I mean, we're closer to Sydney than they are. Um, so they've got their problems for sure. But we need them to be strong. I don't mind. You go off on any tangent you like, Nisbo. This is yeah. a beautiful podcast. I mean, if something pops into your head, you just sort of go there. Because yeah, I know. I don't know what that had to do with coaching, but never mind. I, I no, it does, because it's all, part of one, it's, it's all part of one big ecosystem, and we yeah. keep having these conversations. And what we talk about here in New Zealand, how does that then impact the competition that we're talking about? And there's layers of, of, of the game which – in terms of competitiveness, and that's what everyone wants out of a competition, and I'm 100% with you. And we saw it last year. And how, it, as much as we love to feel comfortable about the All Blacks winning, just look what the interest of the game happened. In. And, and yes, a lot of it was negative when we lose to Ireland, right? And then we lose to Argentina. But in terms of the exposure for the game, and I think bringing um, some reality into this is what we're dealing with right now. This is where the margins are closer. And if... If we imagine if we've got a by the same time we're chasing Ireland and France, but right across two and a half hours, three hours away, we've got a, a serious competitor that we we know on any given year, gosh, they could come over and beat us, you know, and we don't have to take them to Eden Park to win, you know, yeah. <laughs> which, is yeah. what, which is what we got. Let's just play at Eden Park. We don't lose at Eden Park to Australia. Yeah, this, yeah. Yeah. this year's an interesting year because we're going to Dunedin. We can blame FIFA. It's their fault, you know, um, that we're having to play in Dunedin. But I think that's going to be a great occasion. And if that's live going into Dunedin, I mean, it's going to be a fantastic game, right? It's going to be something that yeah. we haven't experienced for, for quite a while. Absolutely. And I, and I think, too, you know, talk to sports fans. Uh, you go along to watch a game. If you're going to pay, I don't know what you pay these days because we always get media passes, Jeff, but <laughs> let's say you pay 100 bucks, 150 I don't know. You want to see a contest. Do you really want to go to a game where the All Blacks are going to win by 50 to nil? I mean, I, I just wouldn't. I just wouldn't. Um, and so you want to see a contest. Every time the All Blacks front up, you want them to win, but you want the opposition to ask a few questions too, don't you? It's probably, for 100 bucks in this bow, you're not getting into the car park. It's no, <laughs> not, that's what it costs me. My car there. <laughs> yeah, in Auckland, in Auckland, if you parked your car, it's a hundred bucks. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> hey, look, I, I am going to change tack. I mean, I've, enjoyed, I've really enjoyed that chat around the coaching because I, I mean, I look forward to seeing what Wayne Smith's going to bring. But lastly, uh, the, uh, news today that Lester Fanganuku is taking his talents next season for a couple of years to France. He's heading away at just the age of twenty-three years old. 
Uh, does that concern you? It does concern me um, because he's too young to go, to be honest. I mean, he'll probably say, oh, I'll be back. Um, but his best years might be behind him when he gets back. It does concern me. Having said that, Jeff, I've always been a strong advocate that unless you stay in New Zealand, you are not eligible for the All Blacks. Uh, and I know there's been a few rumblings on this again, and it's been written that, you know, maybe we should look elsewhere. I'm not one of those people at all. The first thing is that you compromise the New Zealand competitions. If you open that door, then there'll be a flood of players heading overseas, safe in the knowledge that they'll still be eligible for the All Blacks. And uh, the other thing, too, is you don't really know the standard that these guys are playing at. You might look at the TV and you might think, oh, he's playing well. But is that the same standard as Super Rugby? I'm not so sure it is. Um, so, look, I, I, I think it's very sad that, um, I mean, what I did like about Artie Sabia when he said, I'm going to Japan next year, he said, I'm going for the money. None of this nonsense about cultural changes and the family are going to, environment's going to be different. Give me a break. They are going for the money. Simple. And if they want to go for the money, that's fine. But you're not available for the All Blacks. And look, I agree with you. Um, to a point, I think that there are always circumstances where you can open a door with the right set of criteria, which means that it would be limited to a few. And it would only, in my case, that I'm looking at a player, and I'll be clear about this, by necessity, if multiple injuries in a key position and you had a vastly experienced All Black overseas who was fit and available to come and fill a gap for you that you wouldn't be relying on, you needed him for two weeks at an end-of-year tour or whatever it might be in an international window, but he would have played 80 or 90 tests. He's been loyal to the jersey. I think you can find a window. And Australia have done that, but what Australia are now doing is they keep changing the boundaries and bringing it back. You have to be hard and fast on this, but it's not a, I'm not going to look there first. I'm 100% with you because you want players who are committed to New Zealand rugby and not just committed to the black jersey, but committed to their franchise, their community, their visual, they're there. They're actually, the, the, the fans can reach out and touch them. And that's where I think, to me, I think is, is absolutely critical. The thing with Leicester for me is he's available for this Rugby World Cup. He's playing really good rugby. Do you think this decision should impact his selection in any way? I hope not. I hope not. I, I mean, I, um, I on the breakdown, uh, when I had my chance to uh, pick an all-black form team, Jeff, I think I put Leicester in the all-black yep. form team. And I think he's still very much in the mix. And I hope that, that this is um, taken in isolation. He should be judged on how he's playing this season and this season only, not what he's going to do in the future. If he's playing well enough to make the All Blacks this year, put him in. I say put him in because we want to win the World Cup. We want to keep the Bledisloe Cup and all the other things. So we've got to play our best players. So what he does in the future is 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 okay, That's but that is in the future. Let's be honest about it. So if he's playing well enough this year and good enough to get in the All Blacks, I say put him in. And... I'll say this to you as well, then. I agree with you if he's playing well enough. Uh, you talk about the competition thing. I'm wondering if we don't have someone who should tour the world going to other competitions. Maybe we do. Maybe it's a position I don't know about with New Zealand rugby. There's a lot of people work for New Zealand rugby, uh, and I don't know what half of them do, Nisbo. But if, if, if there was one that was doing to what you say, and I would imagine if if it's the right person, they'll be well enough connected to go to France, to go to England, 
um, into the UK, go to Japan, spend time in those environments. And so for Leicester Fire Manuka, I'd like to think that we well and truly stay in contact with him. We well and truly, because he's only away for two years by the looks of things. And you go, you know what? There's another two years before the next Rugby World Cup and you're going, I'm gonna, I need to know about Leicester. I need to know about where, uh, how Artie's going in Japan. I need to know, same thing if Bowden, when Baden Barrett goes, all of those sort of things, you know. Um, I don't think we should lose contact. And I, I think that's one area we probably could do better is that we know how quickly we write someone off when they leave New Zealand. We don't like it. There's a bit of stamping of the feet and, oh, you know, you're not loyal. To your point, they are, they are lining their pockets in most cases, right? They're sitting and trying to set themselves up for the future. They are clearly earning half to three times more than they get here in New Zealand. So I can't argue with that when you're talking about you never know when it could be done. You could be done. It could be over. So I think to me, I, I, as much as it's disappointing, I look at it and go, well, there's no reason that Lester Fainanuku should be any way harmed in two years' time if we go, we want him back. Gosh, he's playing well in France. It's I like what I've seen. I'd be I'd be more than happy, you know, for him to come back after that. I I think this could be the world we might be living in for a while. You know, there's some players who, and remember, Lester's no, he's not a given all black. He's not a guaranteed all black, right? He's a guy who's who's genuinely on the fringe in one of our most competitive positions. So I'm not sure where he sits right now. I can probably understand why he's going, right? Oh yeah, no doubt about it. And I mean. I'm I'm with you on that absolutely. Once he comes back, he it, it's fair game. He's he, he's he's in. But while he's in France, um, in my view, uh, he shouldn't be eligible for the All Blacks. Um, and when you think about it, I mean, you, you're right. He's going to be making a lot of money. He's going to have to take a pay cut to come home. Um, so whether he's hungry enough for that All Black jersey, he's had a little he's had a little dabble with it in the last couple of years. So he, he knows what it's like to be an All Black, even though. He, as you say, he's not a given, but he's he, he is what they call an All Black, um, and that that carries a lot of weight around the rugby world, no doubt about that. He's not a potential All Black; he's been an All Black. So, so you know, at the end of two or three years or whatever, he's still a relatively young man. He'll only be what twenty five, twenty six. He decides that he wants to come home and and play again for the Crusaders. Game on, game on. He's he's uh, he's fine. Nisbo, in uh, a couple of weeks' time, uh, we've got two rounds to go in Super Rugby, and then we're into the playoffs. Just lastly, before we go to work over the weekend and we get stuck into it and we find out and we get one step closer to seeing what the quarterfinals might look like, which I think is really, I mean, if you think about the context of the competition, a lot of people going on about, um, clearly, that, that when you look at the bottom two or three spots, they haven't got winning records in, in Super Rugby. Um, everyone's saying or talking about we should just have semi-finals. If you just had semi-finals, we wouldn't be having the conversations we're going to have over the next two weeks, would we? No. I mean, the, the, the race would be for fourth and fifth, and that is it. There wouldn't be any other conversation going on, whereas we've got now multiple layers. Um, what are you an advocate for? Some people are talking about top six. Give one and two a week off. How Do you like what we've got right now, or would you slightly change that? Yeah, I'll probably slightly change it. At, at the moment, we've got, what, 12 teams, and eight of them are going to be involved. So in other words, only four won't be. Um, it's not the perfect competition. It's never going to be the perfect competition. Maybe you're right about the top six. The, the, the top two qualifiers, they get they get a week off. Uh, whether they want a week off, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I, 
there's a balance there, Jeff. I'm, uh, I'll be interested to see how this one plays out. Um, I think there'll be three quarterfinals in New Zealand and probably one in Australia. Um, and I think if we if we talked about it at the start of the season, we would have anticipated that maybe was what was going to work out. But um, yeah, I'll be just interested to see how it all pans out. I think what we will find though is it'll be a New Zealand final. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then that's the you know, and that's where the Brumbies losing probably last weekend um, didn't help them in terms of now dropping down, dropping that game. The Chiefs this weekend, you know, the, the difference between them finishing. Um, second and third is actually significant, really, yeah. really significant, yeah. you know. But that's what the force do at home, and the force beat the Highlanders there, and yeah. you run the risk, and you and Australia are uh, operating in uh, very similar rules. Uh, well, not so rules, because apparently there's, ex, you know, there's exemptions and all sorts of things going on with resting players, but Australia have been ru- uh, running similar situations, and the Brumbies took their risk, like the Crusaders took their risk earlier on in the season when they played the Fijian draw, and they got punished because of it. Um so I sort of look at that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure myself. I, I, I'm actually with you. I look at it and go, you know what? If we get to quarterfinals that are blatantly one-sided, and you're going, did they did, did they ultimately really need to play that game? You know, did they ultimately? And to your point, is there too much of a significant advantage in having a week off? Um, well, I tell you, it's better than the old days, Jeff, when when South Africa used to be involved. I think there was a case. I seem to remember doing a game, a final. The Sharks came all the way to Hamilton to play the Chiefs in a final. But the Sharks had actually been in New Zealand two weeks earlier. They had to go home to play their final round robin game and then fly back to New Zealand. I mean, we're talking massive flights, as you know, uh, close to 24 hours to even get here or there. Um, So it's better than that, that old system. I mean, that was a classic case. A bit like Super Bowl, where they should have left it two weeks to play the final and given the South African team an opportunity to at least acclimatise after all the travel. But these poor guys, they were just on planes for two weeks and how can you expect them to perform? So at least we're not at that silly stage. Oh, I, actually, you're right, because the Haguaris, I think, were very similar. Or that they And they they travelled more than anyone. They've gone all around the world from, from being from Buenos Aires and, and finding their way to whether it's a South Africa or to Australia to New Zealand. Um, I'll pose this question. I can go off on a tangent. I always would always do. I actually think the Hawaiis and they've the way, because they finished, I think with back-to-back finals and when the last time they were in super rugby against the Hurricanes and then against the Crusaders. I reckon that team would go close to winning this competition. I think yeah. that team, yeah. you know, if you think about that international side um, and ended up being the national side, essentially, um, I miss them in this competition. I, miss them. I really do. I miss them too. I, I think they added a lot, a different kind of flavour, a different uh, fan base. And the thing about going to Argentina, as you know, you jump on the plane in Auckland and you arrive in Argentina or close to it. It's not like going to South Africa where you have to get off in Australia and wait five hours and then get a flight. Um, so the travel is not such an issue. And uh, look, their involvement in Super Rugby over a fairly short period of time, what, three or four years, had to have a massive positive effect on the way the Pumas play. And we saw that. We've been beaten by the Pumas twice now in the last three years. And I reckon you'd you'd have to go back and say their involvement in Super Rugby is directly as a result uh, of the the, the, uh, performance of the Pumas directly as a result of the Hawares being in Super Rugby. 
And I think going full circle on the conversation and all of a sudden exposure to different coaching styles and Michael Checker's now involved with there. I think Graham Henry in early days, I think Steve Hansen had a, a small role there as well. So all of a sudden them at their exposure um, and on a regular basis playing a different, a, a certain style of football and just being together and creating their own culture. Um, and there's no doubt it's challenging. And I'm look, I'll be interested to see how they go in this year's Rugby World Cup after having, um, you know, a, a, a year away from, another couple of years away from Super Rugby. But that group of players, I think, learned and found a formula and we experienced in Christchurch last year when it got cold and tough, uh, they were able to go to the well and it was impressive to watch. So um, we're this rugby championship, and this is the other thing, we're, we're not far away from that first all-black side in this boat. And the no. rugby championship's right there. And you think about that is, is this going to be one of our toughest rugby championships we've had to play? Argentina? South Africa a week later at Mount Smart Stadium, and then the Wallabies two weeks after that, and then we back up the following week with a game in Dunedin, which could be a decider in a Bledisloe Cup. This is this is going to be about five weeks of. I mean, you talk preparing for a Rugby World Cup. This is a this is a good five weeks for the All Blacks, right? Oh, look, it's 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 the best. I mean, um, we've gone into World Cups in the past, and I think prior to two nineteen. We had a game against Tonga, I think, in Hamilton. We put 90-odd on them. And, I mean, that's that's all well and good. But you want to test yourself against the best. And, uh, boy, there are no soft touches uh, coming up for the All Blacks prior to um, uh, prior to the World Cup, that's for sure. And then two weeks before the World Cup starts, of course, they've got the game against the Springboks at Twickenham, which will tell us a fair bit about where we are, that's for sure. So, uh Look, we can only look forward to it. I mean, um, as I say, there, there are no soft touches at all. It's the best possible preparation we could have. I've said last question a lot of times, but this is the last one. Can the Hurricanes win a Super Rugby title in 23? Um, on the evidence of what I've seen so far, probably not. Um, but they are capable of beating anybody, and I mean anybody, on their day. So I'm probably saying yes, actually. No. I'm probably saying yes. If they can beat anybody on their day, they've only got to do it three weeks in a row and they've done it. <laughs> in a matter of 10 seconds, you managed to counter your own argument. I absolutely love it. it's always a pleasure. always a pleasure chatting to you. I look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks, mate. Right, mate. See you later.